You're listening to the Faith Roots Audio Podcast with Pastor Willie George. You can watch the full video version of this episode on the Faith Roots YouTube channel. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Now, here's Pastor Willie George with today's message. Welcome to episode 13 of the Four Faces of Love. This week we're talking about love that guards. It is one of the dimensions of the love of God. Let me read Ephesians 3 again. That, the, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. When we want to talk about uh, how someone guards and protects, we you uh, protects. We use the word length. He will go to any length to protect his children, or he'll go to any length to protect his company. Uh, we use that word to describe a certain defensiveness, and uh, this is also a military idea. Uh, that when two armies would line up and face each other in battle, the generals knew to hold back behind their main lines forces in reserve lest the enemy go around and outflank him and get in behind. These forces that were in the background, which gave length to their formation, these forces gave protection. And that's where length applies to the guarding nature of the love of God. Now, these four faces are symbolized very clearly in the book of Revelation chapter 4. And these four living beings that stand before the throne of God night and day. And I want to read to you from uh, Revelation 4. And let's take a look at verse 6. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had the face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, it's interesting because the Scripture says in 1 John that God is love. But here, the living beings that surround God's throne say that He is also holy. So we have to reconcile God's holiness with His love. And a God who is holy cannot accept everything. Therefore, he has to protect certain things. And that's what you see in the face of the lion. Now, the lion is the first of the faces that is given here. Uh, the lion is the symbol of a king, and you see that uh, all through ancient history. Uh, you see the lion being symbolic of royalty. You see it on a number of flags in different nations. The Gospel of Matthew is symbolized by this. The lion is in Matthew, very clearly. Matthew gives us a lineage of the kingly line of David. That's what you see. Joseph is of the line of the king. He's of the royal line. That's the genealogy. That's why it's different than Mary's genealogy. Mary's genealogy connects Jesus to David physically, biologically. Even though he was not begotten by the seed of a man, his mother did come 
from the family and the lineage of David. So he does have a human connection on the feminine side, back through Mary and her line. But on the masculine side, the side of the seed, Jesus is not begotten, but he is legally imbued with the authority to rule. In Roman times, adoption was very significant, very important. In fact, when Jesus was born, the most powerful man on earth was an adopted son. Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. And so adoption was a very powerful thing, more so than it is today. And so the oldest child, whether he was biological or adopted, was considered the legal heir of the vast resources of the family. This is called primogeniture, and it, and it lasted well into the 1800s, and that is the oldest child of a, of a monarch. We see it just recently in that when Queen Elizabeth died, her oldest child, who was Charles, is the heir to the throne, and his oldest son, William, will be the next king. So you see how all of this works. Jesus then is given to us as the king of Israel. The reason he can be the king is he is not the biological son of Joseph. He is the adoptive son of Joseph. And here's why. Jeremiah the prophet put a curse by God on the line of Joseph, on the line of the kings in Jeremiah 22, 29, and 30. Listen to what he said. O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper, sitting on the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. Now when you read of this king, uh, uh, Jeconiah, he is the one that is scolded here. And he's the one who is stopped. So after he had this curse by Jeremiah the prophet, none of his sons could become king, and none of his family became the, the line of uh, uh, kings that represented uh, Judah. And so he's not there. So uh, Jesus, being the adopted son, was the legal heir of Joseph. And we can see that when they put the title over his cross, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews in three languages, it was the truth. He was the King of the Jews. That means that Joseph was dead by that time, meaning that Jesus had all rights to the throne. So he wasn't just King of the Jews in some symbolic way. He was in the line of David through Joseph, but he was not the seed of Joseph. That's why the virgin birth was so important for a number of reasons, one of them being this legal kingship. So what then do we see in Matthew's gospel? If Matthew's gospel is symbolized by the face of the lion, and I believe it is, then what is its mission? The mission of the gospel of Matthew is to bring about reproof. And when we hear the word reproof, we think of reproof as another form of correction. And that's really not the case. 
Uh, reproof is not correction. Now, in David's life, for instance, you see God speaking to David about the choices that Saul was making and, and the wrong decisions that Saul made. And he's warning David not to follow the wrong things. That is reproof. Reproof is a warning about other people's sin. Now, when David sinned, God sent the prophet Nathan to him who rebuked him for what he had chosen to do and what he had done. That's correction. There's a big difference between reproof and correction. If I were to bring my kids in and say, I don't want you to hang around with those people. Now, they get into trouble all the time. They make foolish choices, and I don't want you around them. I don't want you in their home because they are liable to do some things that will hurt you. I'm not correcting my children. I'm not telling my children, you did something wrong. I am giving them reproof. It's no different than me saying, hey, sir, 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 wait, wait, wait. That bridge just got washed out. Don't go down this road. Uh, the river's raging and you can't see it. There are no signs there, but the bridge is out. Trust me, I just came from there and almost ran over the edge myself. That's not correction to the driver who's going down the road. That's reproof. And that's what reproof is. And so when we get into the gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus doing this amazing work of reproving. And what's he doing? He is exposing the hypocrisy of the religious leaders in Israel. And you will see that over and over and over again. He also has to establish a legal authority for why he is the one offering this reproof. And it is because he is the king. And that's why you see Jesus taking the whips in Matthew and driving out the money changers from the house of God. Why does he have the authority to do that? He's the king and he's cleansing his father's house. But he's not doing it just as a prophet. He's doing it as the king because he has the right to warn about hypocrisy and wickedness. This is how Jesus gives his ministry and begins his ministry. Matthew 4, 17, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you know what is amazing about Matthew? No less than 50 times the word kingdom, the kingdom, my father's kingdom, appears in Matthew more than any other gospel. Not just more than any other gospel, more than all the other gospels combined. It is Jesus the King. That's the theme of Matthew's gospel. And so we see him as the protector, as the guardian, and we see him giving reproof. In other words, he's making these contrasts, and he's saying, don't do this, but do this instead. So he's reproving the philosophies of the world, the customs of the world, and the philosophies and customs of religious hypocrites. And he's replacing them with kingdom alternatives. Now, this is typical of God's nature and character, and he does this always. I want to take you back to the book of Genesis, and um, we go to chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. I want you to see if this reproof is there. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but... Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, 
This is not correction. Adam had not sinned. Now, later on, he would sin, and the correction would come from God. But this speaks of evil, but Adam had done no evil. So the evil that is being warned against is a form of reproof. And because love guards, it reproves. And so when we teach people to avoid certain habits, when we teach people that there are certain choices that lead us in, we're not trying to beat people over the head. We're warning people about things that could hurt them. When you teach your kids not to do certain things, and we have a Bible full of stories of people who made those wrong choices. You know, one of the things that I learned early on in my children's ministry was not to jump on the kids, but I would jump on a puppet. And I had two puppets, and one of them was always making great choices, and the other one was always sleeping in and skipping church and getting in trouble at school and saying bad words. We didn't have him say bad words in the class, but we alluded to what he had done and all that. And I would have the kids actually talk in unison, and they would say, no, no, no. And is it, did he do the right thing? No. What do you think about it? Boo. That's reproof. And what we're doing is not shaming kids for anything they've done. We're shaming this character. We're pointing out that he's doing something wrong. He used to do that all the time. It was very popular. Uh, but it's an effective way of communication. It's what God brings to us. Uh, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, those four have to do with these four faces. We'll get into that later. But what I want you to see is because God loves, He guards, and one of the ways that He guards is He reproves. He points out things that hurt, and He keeps you from them. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We'll pick up here tomorrow. I want to thank you for watching our podcast today. And if you really liked it, would you please give us a little thumbs up by clicking on that sign down below. And then I would encourage you to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss any of our future podcasts because they're all going to be good. And if you would like to support us financially, either with a one-time gift or recurring gift, you can do that by clicking on the link below are going to MyFaithRoots.com. Thank you so much for watching this program. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Ratings and reviews help us reach more people. So take a moment to leave a review on your podcast app and consider sharing an episode with a friend or family member that needs to be built up and encouraged in the Lord today. Thank you for listening.